when you have the FBI director as well saying Hezbollah, Hamas, they may be here. Uh, people have this sense there's something not right. They don't feel well economically. They don't feel good in their personal security. They see the crime stats in their local community, and Democrats can hector them and say, well, per capita, rural town in, in South Alabama actually has a worse crime rate than, than in New York City. But in the real world, they don't feel like they're going to get carjacked in, in rural town Alabama uh, like they do in even Atlanta, Georgia, or Washington, D.C. And the Democrats can lecture us with stats, but lived experience, something they've always lectured us on, it matters, and they've totally ignored that. All right, folks, it is Tuesday. We are less than a week away from Christmas. Welcome to the Sean Spicer Show, where we have all of your presence for everybody that's on the naughty list and on the good list. Well, yeah, we've got president presence for everybody. That's what's so good. Actually, probably unless you're in the Biden administration because record low polling numbers have come in. The record also extending to the number of migrants at the southern border, 12,000 people this morning or in the last 24 hours, not good. By the way, the first lady says that the problem, the problem is that he's not resting enough. I get it. I mean, look at that schedule. You might have nothing and then nothing and then nothing and a briefing. You know, that's a tough day. So let's let's dial it back. That's what the first lady is telling senior aides. And Congress does not look like they're going to pull off getting that $111 billion deal for Ukraine and Israel aid before they leave town for the end of the year. That leaves, according to the White House, Ukraine down to their last billion. That's right. They're down to a billion dollars. Today's guest, Eric Erickson, is going to help break it all down. He is a nationally syndicated radio host. Let's get into it with him. All right, Eric, I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for being back. Thanks for having me. So look, this morning, uh, the Biden folks are not waking up to a very Merry Christmas season here. Uh, this Monmouth poll shows he's had an all-time low, 30-something percent. I think it's 34% of Americans approve of his job. I remember for four years of Trump, when he was in the 40s, people were freaking out. Um, this is down, though, from 54% from when he took office. And and I think the the thing is, with Trump, a lot of times it was the style, the personality, right? With Biden, there's there's not one thing. It's the policies. It's the age. There's not a lot that you can then fix. And they keep telling people to stop wetting the bed as if like it's other people's problems that his policies and, and age are a factor here. Yeah, you know, I'm reminded if you go back to the Clinton administration, that was the first time pollsters started really separating the polls from do you like the guy versus do you like his job? And with Clinton, people didn't like him, but they really liked the job he was doing and he got reelected. You go to Donald Trump and people, they liked his policies. They really didn't like him. They were kind of sketchy with Biden. People don't like him and they don't like the job he's doing. It, it's a complete collapse across the line. People forget that his polling shows it's not just people don't like his job. They don't like him anymore. He promised a return to normalcy. And instead, we've got people marching to the streets, chanting death to the Jews, and he won't condemn them explicitly. The thing that I find funny is that when he ran, he said, I want to be a transition candidate. And I think a lot of Democrats bought into that and said, OK, I get it. You can beat Trump. You uh, you're, you're a transition and then you'll be done. And then he's kind of inserted himself and said, I need a second term. But to your point, you look at the policies, both internationally and domestically, I don't get what his basis for running is, right? Meaning he's not saying, hey, the economy's going well, we're safer, we're stronger. 
You start at foreign policy, and this was supposed to be his strength. He was going to be the adult in the room, the person that restored these relationships, the person that had flown 5 billion miles with Xi Jinping around the world. And yet, it's not just one hotspot. It's China. It's North Korea. It's Iran. It's Israel. It's North Korea. It's Russia and Ukraine. I mean, there's there's very, I mean, the only thing that's not happening is Canada isn't invading us yet. Right, yet. Um, although there are plenty of illegal aliens now coming across that unsecured border <laughs> as well. Uh, it, listen, the problem with Joe Biden is he did promise to be the adult in the room and everyone thought, oh my gosh, Donald Trump is, he's the chaos candidate going to start World War III on Twitter. Well, he's not on Twitter anymore. That really helped Donald Trump, by the way. People don't appreciate enough. Not being ever present on Twitter was a big deal, got him out of people's mind. And suddenly with the rest of the world, I mean, you've got American ships being attacked in the Red Sea. You've got the situation in Israel, Ukraine. Say what you will about Donald Trump, and I've criticized him, but Vladimir Putin would have never invaded Ukraine were he president because of the chaos. Uh, So now Joe Biden wants to take this, well, I'll defend democracy. Here's a problem. Forget all the other polling. It's the Pew poll. Only 1% more Americans believe Joe Biden will protect democracy than Donald Trump. Everybody kind of understands at this point it's a cynical ploy and he's got nothing left to give the people. All right, folks, uh, we've probably all spent a ton of money this Christmas holiday season on gifts for folks. As you make a New Year's resolution, think about your financial future, diversifying your investments. Uh, I do as well. I've thought about it. I put money in Bishop Gold. They are a a group that I have gotten to know. I've talked to them about my financial situation, how precious metals can be part of it. Uh, I trust them. I've gotten to know them. Integrity is a part and a way of doing business for Bishop Gold Group. Uh, And I would recommend that you sit down and talk to them. Whether it's an IRA that you're looking to roll over, uh, a a diversification of all your accounts, precious metals can be part of that. And when I did it, I got on the phone with them. I explained my situation, what I'm looking to do. And they talked about, well, we'll do a little here. We'll do a little here. What's your timeline on this? It was a great conversation. And it was a way for me to think about my financial future and hopefully independence uh, going forward. So I suggest if you want, give them a call 844-984-1616 or go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean for a special promotion to start your journey uh, with precious metals to financial freedom. Again, bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean. Talk to them about your circumstances, your needs, and trust me, you won't regret it. I use them. I suggest you do as well. Bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean. You know, it's funny. Um, Liz Cheney did this interview on Fox News with Brett Baer, and he confronted her with a Wall Street Journal op-ed and said, hey, look, you know, you, you speak out all the time about Donald Trump, and we get it. You wrote a book about it. We get that. But if you're concerned about democracy, and he listed off a litany of things that was in this Wall Street Journal op-ed that he has done through executive order, right? I thought that the thing that was so funny, though, to me, and funny is probably not the right word, but at the core of democracy is voting. It's allowing people to have a say in who their leaders are. And you look at what's happening on the Democratic side. They move and they shift around all of the primaries to, to rig the system for Biden. And okay, I get that to some extent. You're in charge of the party. You would rather start in South Carolina than New Hampshire. And so you upend that. Okay, I'll give you that a little. But they cancel, cancel the Florida primary so that no one can have a say. Isn't that at the core of democracy? Oh, look, it absolutely is. Uh, And the Democratic Party is playing to ensure that Joe Biden wins. 
they don't really care about democracy. When, when you look at the disinformation campaign they were running through the Department of Homeland Security, trying to censor people, um, the Democrats are perfectly fine with an authoritarian. They just want a D next to their name, not an R. And I think most people now realize that. Yeah, but it's interesting getting back to, to the nut of his approval ratings, right? We talked about the international stuff. Now let's talk about the domestic. And I, I want to get to the border so we can talk about it in a second, but I just want to start with the economy. I have fundamentally said I've been doing political campaigns for about 30 years. And I believe at the end of the day, there are two things that people vote on, economic security and personal security. And in both cases, there are gut feeling. What do I mean by that? That on the personal security side, if you walk down the street in your neighborhood or get the sense that you're not safe, it doesn't matter what somebody tells you statistically about how the odds are, the number of crimes that have been committed or not committed. If you don't get that feeling in your gut that you can walk down the street at, during the day or at night, then, then that matters for you. Same thing with economic security. You can have a litany of government statistics read off to you. But if you don't feel that your job is safe, that you're making more money, that you can put something away, then it doesn't matter what the government says. And I feel like that the Biden administration, the Biden campaign is fighting this. They're telling us Bidenomics is working. Everything is great. And I feel like I took my son to the Lego movie back a few years ago. And it was like, everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. And that that's their mantra is despite what you feel and see, it's all great. You know, I think the closest historic parallel was George H.W. Bush in 92 against Bill Clinton, who came off historic polling, people forgetting 90% popularity rivaling George Washington himself. And then he kept telling Americans the economy is doing well. And fundamentally, you look at the economic stats at the time, it, the country had gone through a recession, had come out of it, but people didn't feel it. And the Bush campaign was essentially lecturing people that uh, your life doesn't suck, even though you feel like it does, you should vote for Bush. And Clinton's campaign was, yeah, it's the economy, and you don't feel like the economy's working, therefore it's not. The Biden administration is, is flipped back into the George H.W. Bush parallel of he's lecturing Americans that, gosh darn it, you feel good whether you like it or not. And Americans don't, and they know every time they go to the grocery store. Sean, so I go to, I'm the grocery shopper in my family, and I can tell you that the grocery bills are still higher than they were a year ago, two years ago. And that they can't process that in Washington, that the macroeconomic picture looks so good, therefore your household picture must look good. There's a level of tone deafness, which is what you get when everyone in the White House worked in the nonprofit world. No one ever worked in the for-profit world there. It's such a good point you make, especially the parallel to 92, because you're right. The thing that people don't realize is that Bush was right. The, econo the, the numbers, the statistics all showed us coming out of a recession, but people didn't feel it. And that's why we say it's a gut feeling. And you're right. I mean, you go to a grocery store and the, the essentials, eggs, milk, meat, the things that you buy normally, right, are still high. And if your job hasn't kept up with it, and that's the other thing, it's not just the prices. It's that feeling. Do you feel like you're going to get a raise at work? Do you feel like your job is secure? And for many Americans, they don't have that gut feeling, that sense of security that is important to them. And, and Biden just, that's what I think is so weird about their messaging. It's to your point, I think you're absolutely right. They're lecturing us. They're telling us, I don't care what you see or think or feel. We know better than you and you should be supporting us. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it does go to that point with the border. When you have the FBI director as well saying Hezbollah, Hamas, they may be here. Uh, people have this sense there's something not right. They don't feel well economically. They don't feel good in their personal security. 
they see the crime stats in their local community and Democrats can hector them and say, well, per capita, rural town in, in South Alabama actually has a worse crime rate than, than New York City. But in the real world, they don't feel like they're going to get carjacked in, in rural town Alabama uh, like they do in even Atlanta, Georgia or Washington, D.C. And the Democrats can lecture us with stats, but lived experience, something they've always lectured us on, it matters. And they've totally ignored that. So let me ask you this. This is a report. This is what it says. Biden has grown increasingly upset in recent weeks over his, quote, unacceptably low polling, complaining to top aides that his economic messaging is still falling flat. That was in the Washington Post. So here's my question to you. As a guy that's on the radio that talks to people all the time, his concern is that his messaging is falling flat. And I would agree with that, that he's trying to lecture people, as you say, and I agree with that. Is there a message that you think would resonate better considering the circumstances if you were them? Yeah, it's the thing that no politician wants to do. Uh, It's to acknowledge reality that, yeah, you still feel like you're behind. And yes, I understand why, because of COVID, blame it on COVID, blame it on the recovery from COVID. Say my policies turned it around, but you haven't caught up yet. If you give me a second term, we'll make sure you're doing better. And then honestly, if he's a Democrat, he says, if you don't believe me, look at oil production. We now produce more oil than we've ever produced before. It took some time to turn that around. We'll do it with the rest of the economy as well. That's one stat that he can't champion, though, because he'll get eaten alive by the left if he does. All right. If you're a longtime watcher of the show, you know about my friend Leo Grillo and all the great work that Delta Rescue does. Uh, He's the founder of it. DeltaRescue.org has got a ton of videos on it where it shows you why it is the largest no-kill sanctuary in the world. Notice I didn't say shelter. They're not there to place people, dogs and animals that have been abandoned. No, they're there to care for them for life. It's a no-kill sanctuary. And if you're an animal lover, you are going to love the work that Leo has done. He started on this journey when he rescued a Doberman. He named the Doberman Delta. Delta stands for dedication and everlasting love to animals. And that's what Leo Grillo has been all about. If you're like Leo, like me, an animal lover, uh, and you go to deltarescue.org and see the great work that they're doing, you can help them out. They rely entirely on our contributions, five, 10, 100 bucks, whatever you can do. But more importantly, if we want to make this an enduring mission, Look at that estate planning guide that they've got on there. Download it. See if you can help make sure that we protect the work that Leo and Delta Rescue is doing when you pass to make sure that part of your estate goes to Delta Rescue. Again, go to deltarescue.org to help out. This is the interesting thing about your point is that so many of the things that he could point to, he's prohibited because his own base prevents him, right? Gas prices. I went down the street the other day. And there was this uh, one gas station that had, it said 299. And I haven't seen 299 gas. I mean, at least here in Virginia, in the greater DC area. So I like, I, I mean, I always wanted to take a picture of it and post it somewhere because I was like, but you're right. They can't take credit for that because A, they beat the heck out of the, the oil and gas uh, industry. And two, it upsets all their climate people that they just flew over to Saudi Arabia on, on jets to talk about. Yeah, listen, I mean, every good thing that Biden could be done, and intellectually honest, the, the, the price of the pump has gone down, oil production's gone up, he could champion that, but he can't because he'd get eaten alive. It's the same thing, like Biden is now fracturing the Democrats on border security. He's willing to give Republicans more of what they want to get funding for Ukraine, but the Democratic Party progressives in Congress will kill it and fracture his base. And you know, this this gets to your point of him being a transition candidate. I honestly think Biden concluded he has to run again because 
He's the only thing keeping the Democrats from breaking apart between the left and the far left. He's kind of the keystone at this point, and he's crumbling. Well, it's funny. The, one of the polls that came out shows that over 70 percent think that they are casting a vote for Harris because he won't live for a second term. Right. I mean, that's that's insane. And the thing that I find fascinating is that hurts him more. Right. I think the irony is, is that Kamala Harris is so much more unpopular and unliked than he is. It's almost like people are kind of I want to keep you because I'm more worried about her. Right. It, you know, honestly. Uh, and again, this gets to the woke intersectionalism of the Democratic Party. You can't oust Kamala Harris, the first black female vice president. And Bingo. yet she's more unpopular than any politician in Washington, including guys like Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy. She's more <laughs> unpopular than, than I mean, you, you pick the disease. She's more unpopular than that. God. So so let me give you, since, since we're going down this path, let me give you my, because uh, I think you're absolutely right. Look, I'll, I'll give you my sort of, theory here, uh, which is that Biden early on in his presidency recognized that he couldn't, he wasn't going to achieve much on the, on, on a normal scale, meaning he couldn't say, I'm going to create more jobs. I'm going to keep us safer. I'm going to do all this stuff. So they came to him and said, we can be the most progressive president. Something he had said on the campaign trail. Well, how do you do that? You appoint the first LBGTQIAC3PO guy to be your transportation secretary. You appoint the first transgender person to be a four star in, in the health and it's technically, uh, health and human services, yeah. but they gets to say a four star. He gets to appoint the first black this, the first left-handed person that on this. And it's all about checking boxes so that he can become the political North Star to the progressives, right? That's what I've always believed. He, he chose Kamala Harris very clearly because she was the first black woman. Well, I want to hand that off. I, Biden, want to be the person that creates the first black female president. How do I do that? I run for re-election. And then this is where I'm still formulating a little, but he has to make it to the convention. He has to become the nominee. And then either sometime before the election or right afterwards, he hands it to her. Because if it's before that, if it's at the convention, the delegates have to decide it and they're not going to go with her. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm glad you said this. I actually made this point yesterday, explaining the process. Until he's locked in, she's nobody because right. she has nothing. He's got to lock in and officially confirm his choice of her at the convention or else. Otherwise, and the delegates ratify it. Yes. And, and the problem is that even the Democrats don't like her. I mean, you've got people, all of us on our side, we're speculating, oh, Gavin Newsom, you talk to Democrats, they're like uh, Gretchen Whitmer, somebody like that, someone who can play to moderates as opposed to Newsom. No one, none of them mentioned Kamala Harris. No. But that's the thing is that he, in order to get that outcome, he has to like, it's like one of those game shows where they have to be like, are you locking that in? Right. Well, final answer, lock it in. Because if the delegates don't affirm it and he goes to the convention and says, I'm too old, I can't do this, then the delegates are going to decide. And I think you're right. They're not choosing her. They're choosing a Gretchen Whitmer. I have a hard time with Gavin Newsom only because I cannot see the modern Democratic Party choosing a white straight dude. Right. Absolutely. That. And, and I do think I, I mean, I know enough of the Democratic strategists. They do think Donald Trump could run a complete stop America from being California campaign and win. Really? Yeah. I mean, Democratic strategists, when you look at Gavin Newsom, where he stands in the polling and public perception, there's a negative perception generally within swing states of California. So you right. run the governor of California, that actually hurts the Democrats. You run a Whitmer, it's Michigan. No one really knows. There's not a lot of time to define her negatively. <laughs> Where is it? That. It's the hand. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, th this is the problem, though. Newsom likes Newsom and progressives like Newsom. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, they don't like Newsom. So you think if you had to guess, just walk me, walk through the scenario that I did. Tell me, what do you think those fault points are and how would you end up? See, I've always thought that Pete Buttigieg is their person because he's a veteran. Uh, he's articulate. I mean, the guy's a smart guy. He may not be good at what he does, but he's not stupid. He served his country. He went over to Afghanistan. So he checks a lot of boxes. He's gay. So he's progressive, right? He gets all that. I, I've always thought that like, that's their guy from a Washington establishment point, not necessarily the grassroots, but the people that you're talking about. I've always thought that they really want to see a guy like Buttigieg in more because I think he plays the game and that they could all benefit. Right. I, I think you actually get to the convention. Biden could solidify Harris, step aside, and then you have a, a Harris Buttigieg ticket. Um, I, oh. I, I wouldn't be surprised. The problem is they hate each other. Um, it, oh, it's, I can it's see why. One too, of those right? great secrets in Washington. They just—it's it, not a coincidence that every time there's a negative story about Pete Buttigieg, the next day there's a negative story about Kamala Harris. They plant stories their teams do against ah, each other. Dude, I didn't see. I, I love this because I did. I never. I knew that they probably weren't gelling because you look at the media. Right. So like today, he's out there doing all these press conferences about holiday travel. Right. He's trying to talk up stuff. Uh, they're never in the same room together. Uh, but. I didn't, I didn't realize the amount of, of sort of hatred or whatever it is, dislike that was between them. Yeah, look, from what I've been told now, I realize it's gossip. Gossip's a sin. Forgive me, Lord. But in Democratic strategists I've talked to said they've never liked each other. They've always stepped on each other. Uh, when you see a negative story about Buttigieg come out, uh, the Buttigieg team thinks it's Harris. When you see a Harris story come out, they think it's Buttigieg. They, they trade nasty stories about each other. And you're right. They're never in the room together. That's, see, I love this. It's like Janet and Michael. We never <laughs> see them together. Yeah. All right, guys, most of us know what it's like to be without power, sometimes for an hour, maybe a day, a couple days after a natural disaster, a hurricane, a windstorm, you know, whatever. But now national security experts are warning that our power grid is more vulnerable than ever. And they've identified nine key substations, which if attacked, they're saying we can lose power for months, months. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. So I recommend the Patriot Power Generator, which is a solar generator that you don't have to install in your house. It's portable, you can take it with you. You can use it inside your house. And it's powerful enough that if power goes out, we're talking your phones, your tablets, your computers, medical devices, even your refrigerator gets power. So if you go to fourpatriots.com and use code SPICER, you get 10% off your first purchase. It's four. Patriots.com includes that Patriot power generator. You'll get a uh, that guarantee for a year, free shipping if it's over 97 bucks, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities that support veterans, right? That's great. So go to fourpatriots.com, use code SPICER, fourpatriots.com. You do not want to be without power in case something happens. But you, you mentioned the border, so I want to get back to that for a second because we could go at this from many fronts, but just this morning, we're seeing record, record numbers. According to the uh, to the Border Patrol, there were more than 12,600 migrants encountered at the southern border in the last 24 hours, which is the highest single day total ever recorded. This is according to Fox News. The true number is significantly higher because there are thousands still waiting to be processed in Eagle Pass, and they do not count in the numbers until they are put into computers. I mean, that is insane. I keep saying one of the things that came out of the poll that I was reading from a moment ago 
was that most people don't know that three million people have come into this country in the last year alone. This is probably the greatest Democratic failure. And the fact that you now have Democrats like Dick Durbin and John Fetterman, that guy, saying that uh, border security is common sense. This is really resonating in the Scrantons, the Erie counties. Uh, this is resonating in, in blue-collar areas of, of Detroit. Uh, Democrats are starting to realize we got a problem, but it's a problem they created. And when you look at the polling, there's not a single American, Democrat, Republican, or independent, who blames Republicans for this. It is right. universal blame for Democrats at a time that everyone recognizes it's a problem. They screwed this up so bad to try to get an amnesty. But here's, okay, so let me ask you this. Maybe you think this sounds very um, Machiavellian or completely pessimistic, but I think I've always believed that they, they, they created this problem because they wanted to. It's not a problem for them. This is to them the future. They've been letting in these folks because in five years, they're going to give them all DACA. Then they're going to put them on a path to citizenship. And what happens after that? Then they vote. This is the future. I, I, I'm sorry. I can't see any other reason that makes sense to me, because if you wanted to stop it, you could. Okay, so yes, you could. And yes, I agree with you. They have a long-term plan of, uh, I don't really consider a great replacement, but I do think Just that a they plan. these people <laughs> them. But, you know, some of the people I've talked to throw out a different novel idea that back in the 1960s, we had this program that you could come over from Central and South America, work the fields, be day laborer, be a housekeeper, and then go home and do this cyclically. It was the unions who got rid of it. And the Democrats are concerned with prices already where they are, that if they can't allow cheap labor into this country and turn a blind eye to it, prices go up, everything goes up, they get blamed. So you got to have a, a, a pool of undocumented migrants here that you turn a blind eye to. You put those two plans together and what you see is that Democrats actually want a, a subclass of citizen in this country to keep prices low make them Democratic voters, provide Democrats power, and then those people can send the repatriate their money back to where they came from. Uh, it's a terrible idea, one, economically. It's a terrible idea philosophically. And it's also one that's going to turn existing legal immigrants against the Democrats. I actually have a Democratic strategist who you would know. He'd get mad at me if I said his name. But he tells Democrats their problem is this. You look at every demographic of Hispanic voter who's come to this country, and within three generations, they start voting Republican because as they <laughs> identify as American, they're really resentful of all the illegal immigrants who came uh, when they took the, the way that they came here legally over time. And it's well, you know, it makes sense, though, because when you wouldn't I, I dealt with this at the RNC a lot. We do these focus groups and these meetings and people would say, wait a second. My family followed the rules. We did all of the right things. We've worked hard to create this small business that we have or what have you. And now people are just coming in for free, crossing the border and getting given stuff. What, how is that show? Like, how does that uh, reflect on the rule of law that you guys supposedly stand for? And I think that that's, that's right, is that these guys might off the bat. But I also don't think that they care. It's a short-term right. play. It's like, hey, get us the votes and we'll worry about the next thing the next day. That's exactly it. I, I mean, you know, I, I guess it was Jonah Goldberg in his book, Liberal Fascism, said progressives never have a sense of history because they don't believe it. They can create everything the next day. They have a very short memory span and they have no thought to 20 years from now. They're just thinking about the next election. They'll lock in their power and then they'll worry about the next election. And, and 
that creates a level of instability, but also for them, they think it's smart politics. But so you think about it, this election, Biden largely, it, this is a universally like getting the voter under control is actually politically popular, even with Democrats. It's just that base of his, that progressive base that doesn't like it. And that's what he's trying to balance here. Yeah, listen, I mean, he can't avoid the problem of the border, but he also can't avoid the political calculus that he could alienate his base. I mean, he said again, what, two weeks ago, his sole reason for running is stopping Donald Trump. And ironically, he may be one of the only Democrats who can't stop Donald Trump at this point because he's so anchored to his progressive base, which has alienated every demographic of Americans. Well, but that's the thing that's so funny is that he thinks that he's the guy, right? Um, and and he's trying to balance this act where he's got people running around supporting Hamas, people who can't, uh, who want the border to be wide open. They know the right thing to do. And this is the funny thing. So they have a meeting with the, the Congressional Hispanic Caucus and they told, the, the leader of it told the Biden administration that it's underestimating the level of Democratic support in the House, according to people familiar with this call that they had, senior Biden administration officials with the, them. If the CHC, the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, forcefully opposes a political, this getting into the border deal that we're looking at, that they think that they're going to walk on these guys. The CHC is frustrated and pissed off. A fourth person familiar with the call said the White House had the meeting basically to check a box. They're trying to figure out how do we do something without alienating these folks. But at the end of the day, you can't because they want an open border. They want people to be able to flow over. There is no political win here that the Biden administration can get uh, that, that keeps the progressives happy. At, at this point, he's going to have to cut them loose if he wants to get a deal. The irony here is that in this coming election season, by distancing himself from progressives, Biden might actually be able to help himself in the polling. But he can't do that because they're his core donors, they're his core voters, and they're his core activists out in the streets. He's got to give them something, but he can't win by being shackled. I, the thing is, I, I look at this, I, I agree with you politically. The thing that's so funny is he is given, he is given, he is given, he is given. He's tried to give up the, all of their student loan payments. He has done everything for them. It's almost like he can't give enough. There's never going to be a thank you, that's good. It's what have you done for me lately? Well, look, in the progressive religion, there's no concept of grace. They, they only have mercy for him and they're not giving <laughs> a lot of that either. So how much do you think this issue of the border is and will be going in because the funny thing is you made that point about this is now starting to get the likes of, of fairly liberal elected officials on board with changing policies. I, 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 it, to me, this is interesting with Eric Adams and you mentioned Dick Durbin that suddenly this was, you know, whatever, 2015, it was Trump build the wall. Now you've got Democrats going, hey, maybe we do need a wall. Look, I, I think we underestimate uh, what is the Tip O'Neill axiom that all politics is local. We talk about everything's nationally and it, these national movements we see and, and everyone's focused on Washington. But at the end of the day, the voters are in swing states and swing districts in cities and suburbs, and they care about those areas. They don't care about Washington. And these politicians who are tuned to their local areas are starting to realize they've got people coming up to them who aren't Republicans complaining about uh, the massive uh, illegal alien populations that are coming into their towns, being put up in hotels, being treated quite well, better than the local homeless population. It, it actually is a local politics matter at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were people 
before the Army Navy game last week, yes. which I don't need to dwell on, that was a not a good afternoon. <laughs> it was played in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Now, for people who haven't been to Foxborough, um, this is not. I mean, this is forty minutes north of Providence, about forty-five minutes south of Boston, depending on traffic. But my point is, it's not a metropolis. There's hotels, and I mean, you can't. Um, you know, it's it's not a big city, if you will. And the, all of the hotels, according to reports, were sold out because they were putting migrants there. And so right. this is a city, you know, that's not used to dealing with this. And suddenly that's where they're putting them. That affects a town like that just in terms of the, the overall culture. But the idea that people couldn't go see that game or couldn't stay there because the rooms were all taken is a problem. It's one that connects with average Americans who otherwise don't encounter the problem. When they encounter a situation like that, they realize it is a problem. And too many people are now beginning to encounter those problems, whether it's taking care of their local homeless population in their community or trying to travel and get a hotel room uh, or the crime issue around the country. They're realizing this problem affects their local community in a way. At one point, it was abstract. It was just the Rio Grande Valley. They didn't live there. No big deal. Well, now it's their backyard. Yeah, it's crime, it's education, it's social services, all of these things that overwhelm it. But let me let me ask you a cynical question right now. They're trying to get this deal on the border with Ukraine and Israel funding. There are some people on the right that said, hey, if you guys cut this deal and Biden gets a win, that's not good. My personal view is, we'll, let's be, there's a million other ways to beat this guy at the ballot box. Let's get the border secure and let's take the deal. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I actually do. Um, and because if you do give the Republicans what they want, it actually hurts Joe Biden. It doesn't give Joe Biden the win it seems to because it does undermining with progressives. It's a great deal for the GOP. And yeah, okay, it funds Ukraine and Israel, and some people may be opposed to one or both of those, but it secures our border and it hurts Joe Biden with the progressives. So it's interesting because you, you think about the coalition that, that Biden needs to win. A lot of minorities, a lot of affinity groups, as people call them, you know, the LBGT community. But you start to look at, at young voters. They were key to Barack Obama. They don't like what he's doing on the border and they don't like what he's doing with respect to Hamas, uh, with, with, with Israel because they are sympathizers to Hamas. And it seems fascinating that this, this could be a big problem with him. You look at this coalition and the thing that's interesting to me is yes, some are going to say I'll vote for Donald Trump, but an equal amount are saying, we're just not going to vote. We're going to sit on our hands. And I keep reminding people, you think about the 2016 election versus Hillary Clinton. We're talking 45,000 votes over three states and about 70,000 votes over three states in 2020. You, you shave away a few thousand in a couple of these battleground states like Michigan, your state of Georgia, Arizona. Suddenly the game has changed. A couple of universities that don't get out there and go gangbusters for the left like they're used to is a doomsday result for the left. It is. Uh, and he really is. And to some degree, I think both sides kind of are. A lot of people may sit home. People, the poll suggests, would be cynical of a Biden-Trump 2.0. But it's the Democratic coalition that right now arguably has a more reliable voter turnout machine. They turn out in the midterms. They turn out in the off-year elections. But you're alienating the people who turn out. You'll have a lot of Democrats who sit home with a very passionate Republican base that wants to stop Joe Biden. Uh, yeah, they, they're, they're, they've got a, a problem with subtraction of the Democratic base right now. And any maneuver Biden does in any direction 
alienates more of the Democratic base. It's it's not an enviable position to be in, and I love seeing him walk himself into it. <laughs> well, speaking of that base, part of the reason, as I said, they're upset is because of these deals uh, with Israel and the border. But it looks like right now, at least, uh, that Congress, that Senate, I mean, they're technically still working today. Um, last night, there were like 60 of them left in town. But this idea of getting a deal on this $111 billion you know, Israel-Ukraine package does not look like it's going to come together before the end of the year. Um, it's interesting to me. I've been asked this all the time. Shouldn't we support Ukraine? Shouldn't we be doing this? A, my view is the Biden administration has known about this for a long time. They just became engaged a few days ago. The idea that this is somehow someone else's problem, they knew this was going to be a problem. But secondly, they know the border is a problem. And the idea that we're having to trade securing our border for helping out Ukraine seems kind of silly to me. We This should be a priority for them. But I think if Republicans let it go, meaning that they they acquiesce to the foreign funding, they're never going to get a deal on securing our own country. Well, I, I agree with you. And I also think it helps Republicans for this to happen after Christmas because these guys go home to their constituents who are really focused on the border. Even the Democratic constituents will be complaining about it. So it does help Republicans to go home, not do a deal before Christmas, and then come back. I, I do support Ukraine funding and Israel funding, but also we got to secure the border before we fund other countries. And if Joe Biden will cave in our direction, then yeah, I would take the deal. I would say this as well, though. And this goes, if you remember even the D.C. crime bill that Biden said he was going to veto and then he wound up signing and threw the House <laughs> Democrats under the bus. He has the worst congressional liaison team I've ever seen. Uh, it's like they never even talk to the Democrats in Congress. They, they never see the train coming until suddenly they're getting run over by it. It is amazing. And I think you're right. These guys go home, they start hearing from constituents. And by the way, I get this like, woe is me thing. I, I look, I don't, I want Ukraine to succeed. I want to stop Russia. I want to stop Putin. But there, the answer yesterday from the White House is we're down to our last billion. Oh, darn. I mean, I'm sorry. You're down to your last billion. Like, I don't even know how to spend that and I'm sure weapons aren't cheap, but that's not exactly the smartest message to be telling the American taxpayer right now. We're down to our last billion. We don't know where we're going to find the other millions that we need. I don't, I'm looking at it going, if it's that dire, that's not really the smartest way to sell this. No, it, it, they've, they've had a terrible message the entire time for him to come out. I guess it was last week. He finally held a press, press conference where he addressed the issue. I don't understand how this White House plans out their strategies you're down to your last billion. Americans have Christmas presents to buy and milk. They're down to their last dollar and you're going to complain it. It's a tone deaf message. Yeah, that's that. I mean, that's I just it, this gets back to what we started talking about at the beginning. They don't get it. And when you talk about whether it's the economy or the border to sit down and say, guys, we need to help Ukraine because we're down to our last billion. And you're absolutely right. People are out there still struggling. They're trying to figure out around the holidays how to take care of maybe a, a, a friend or a coworker or a family member they want to do something for. And they're trying to piece it together. And you're hearing the White House say, yeah, the southern border is getting overrun. We've got a record number today. But gosh, we need to send another we need one hundred and eleven billion dollars to send overseas. And by the way, we're down to our last billion. It sounds so ridiculously tone deaf. I agree with you. I don't know who their legislative staff is. I don't know who their comms team is. I mean, I feel like they all, they all, maybe they're getting their cues from Kamala Harris. 
they probably are at this point. I mean, they're they're letting her run point on all of these issues and they keep being a disaster. That should probably tell the White House something. It makes, I, I really do sit back as someone who's been in politics for a while, seen the way these shops work. The, the lack of being able to message anything coherently and the lack of being able to coordinate with your members of Congress on anything is it, baffling. This White House is headed into a midterm, headed into a presidential election where the message is bad, the polling is bad, the underlying data for the voters is bad, and they don't seem to have any clue how to fix it, let alone message it. Yeah. Hey, before we wrap up, Eric, I know yesterday on your show you weighed in on this. I want to keep this PG just so we're clear, but I, I got to... I don't even know what uh, that the, yesterday they asked Senator Ben Cardin about the staffer that had been let go for having gay sex in that committee hearing room. And he said that he was disappointed and angry. Um, I, I kind of sit back and I'm like, OK, I guess that's the right response. Uh, he said the Capitol Police is investigating this. But I was very shocked at how the media played this up out of the gate. It was Republicans and conservatives leak video. And I'm like, dude, this isn't on us, brother. Yeah, listen, it's become predictable at this point. You had the the porn star candidate in Virginia that Politico tried to cast as a victim that someone discovered her online sex life. She was selling it. You have this kid putting it online. I'm surprised, actually, the Democrats didn't defend it. After January 6th, they needed to sanctify the place in the most intersectionally woke possible way, which that apparently was. Um, I mean, from one insurrection to another. It's just I'm I'm (laughs) gobsmacked by it the media's reaction to this. But the idea, like, listen, this guy videotaped himself doing something and then he tries to put out a statement saying that he's the victim saying, I just wanted to love who I love. And I'm like, dude, no, 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 this isn't, don't, don't turn this into a gay thing. This is a you thing. You literally did a sexual act on, on the, the dais of the, where the 9-11 commission was, where the judiciary committee meets. And that somehow it's everyone else's fault that you did this. Yeah, the the inability to accept responsibility and and expect to be able to get away with this. I actually, serious question, no humor intended. There are security cameras. Uh, what is up with the Capitol Hill police? You, you can say they, they didn't take action or whatever, January 6th. You got a kid having sex in this room. The lights are on. There are security cameras. How did no one go Dude, stop? can I just stop for a second? You realize that the, the lights were on. Yes. I mean, these guys, these guys made this a production. Yeah, where, I mean, what is the, what do Capitol Hill police officers do? Were they just watching and like live streaming it themselves? Oh, I, I, I have no idea. I don't want to see Capitol Hill OnlyFans. But I also go back to the judgment. What In what world do you say, hey, you know what? I got this really good idea. Let's go into this historic committee room Let's turn on all the lights. Let's do this act. Then let's stream it to our buddies. And they go, I can't believe we got caught. How did we get caught? Right. It, 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 the entire thing is insane lack of judgment. How that kid had a job as long as he did. And now we know apparently uh, Cardin's chief of staff had admonished him on his prior social media posts. Uh, maybe if we were a little more firm in disciplining the kids these days, a lot of this stuff would go away. I think you're right, though. The thing to me that upset or kind of really got me was the lack of responsibility. It was It's not my fault. Cardin saying that he was no longer employed by the U.S. Senate. Dude, he was employed by you. Right. And you guys let it happen. I wonder, though, Jonathan Turley made a case where it could be a violation of both D.C. law and then federal law. I read it. I'm not a lawyer. I was like, eh, do you think that this is going to just die or is there more to it? 
Oh, I think they want they want it buried. Um, they should pursue it. Uh, that criminally, there should be consequences. But I don't know that the Democrats will do that. Yeah. All right. Well, I hate to end it on on that note, but I, I you had such a great commentary on the show yesterday. I wanted to make sure that we we touched it. Um, Eric, thanks for joining us. I wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year if I don't see you again. Thanks to all of you guys for subscribing. I appreciate it. We've got a great show for you tomorrow. Continue to hit that subscribe button, hit the notification button, go to Apple and Spotify, give us a five-star review. We'll see you back here tomorrow on the Sean Spicer Show.